Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the Tri-Tac Games Podcast. Your podcast of reaching down inside and finding something really strange and unusual and making everybody pay attention to it. Hi. (laughs) This week we are doing Playing the Monster, especially in Bureau 13. It's interesting that... The last time we talked about playing monsters was all the way back when, Blix? Well, that was episode 54. Actually, amazing that you remember that, Blix, because you weren't a host on that episode. Oh, okay. (laughs) I happen to like this topic. Playing monsters is fun. I like being very scary. As long as you don't sparkle. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) We're not judging the monsters here. We're just talking about how to play them. Because they're not evil. They're just misunderstood. Unless they're evil and misunderstood. Well, yeah, then that's a double whammy. Just In the previous episode, what we talked about was, you know, what kind of supernatural creatures or what was the composition of the perfect Bureau 13 team. And we talked about some supernatural creatures, but we also talked about creatures that had powers like psionics or magic and things like that. So we're not talking about, you know, what's the best monster or what best supernatural or anything to have on your Bureau 13 team. Okay, that's up to the other team members to work out. We're just talking about if you decide to play a monster, if you decide to play a supernatural creature in a Bureau 13 game, in the Fringeworthy game, or any of the other games that we have, because you know you can have them also in Heartwater Hinterland, Magic Cost, or uh, some of the other places can support monsters. Even animals with a capital A, that's pretty close to a monster. Playing a sentient T-Rex would, be, would definitely qualify. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what we want to do is we want to talk about what does it take to really bring alive the unique qualities that you would have if you were playing a monster. Even the undead ones? Especially the undead ones. <laughs> Especially the live ones, yes. The first thing we have to talk about is... What's the reason for playing a monster? We don't want to talk about, well, he's got this power, he's got that power. Because if we do that, then all we're really doing is wearing a funny suit, uh, a bat belt on it with a new set of powers that we can use. But we're really playing just the same old characters inside through the eyepieces of that monster. Holy stereotype. That's not what we're trying to do here. We don't want to do that. We want to talk about what makes these monsters unique in behavioral sense, even a cultural sense, and therefore what it is you're trying to bring out about these monsters, which is part of playing the monster. You have joined the most secret government agency that you have never heard of, the 13th Bureau of Justice, otherwise known as Bureau 13. You are a government agent charged with the duty of disposing of the greatest unnatural threats to the people and the, and the economy of the United States and Canada. You will work under the knowledge that you are funded by an organization so secret 
Even the highest government officials do not know of your existence. Welcome to the elite band of people who wander the dark streets of the night, ever searching for the horrors that should not exist in this modern age. You are a special agent, stalking the night fantastic. Year 13 is a Gen Con award-winning RPG of modern horror and paranormal adventure. It's available from Tritag Games at TritagGames.com in both the original editions and in the D20 edition, with a new Savage Worlds edition coming soon. Remember that wherever the supernatural waits, good and evil, the agents of Hero 13 will be there. But the evil is growing. We're talking about monsters, okay? But monsters don't always have to be bad guys. You, you know, you, we mentioned before it could be an alien from another world. But yeah, what if you got something like an angelic, you know, that comes down? Not human, right? Oh, yeah. Not a bad guy, but, you know, if you saw an angel, that would mess with you. Oh, yeah. As a, as a citizen. Oh. So another creature that you would have to hide their identity. But this is, a, this is like a super good guy. And I'm talking about angel in the classic sense. I mean, I'm not talking about like, you know, some kind of um, blurred version of it where they're actually a bad guy like as in, in the prophecy. Oh, I'm talking, talking about like a, like a good guy version of a monster. A seraphim with the with the seven faces or five faces. I how many faces they have. Oh, you're going classic on me, John. You're going oh, like, yeah. real, real oh, angels, real seraphims. Yeah. Well, they've got yeah. like 12 wings and seven heads and flaming or, swords and stuff. We also have gods. There's an uh, anime I, I happen to like. It's called Spice and Wolf. And one of the characters is Horo, the goddess of the harvest. She has three forms. One, she can be, appear as a fox. Two, she can appear as a human. Well, almost human. She still has fox ears and a fox tail. And three, she appears as her god form. And you don't want to be around when she's in her god form. So if we're talking about playing gods, we have to naturally assume that for whatever reason, they've been trapped in the material plane. And of course, they're not god-powered anymore because that's not a character. Well, this is her plane. I mean, she's a goddess of the harvest. <laughs> We're talking about playing as characters. I mean, are you talking about a god campaign where people are playing gods? Okay, her problem is, is that while she has some various powers, she's also very, very mortal. Maybe a thousand years or ten thousand years ago, she was all-powerful. But now it's like, well, I think I may have a dozen or so worshippers here. Maybe a dozen over there. I, I'm a god. I can, I can turn these things on, but only for a short period of time. I gotta go back to back to uh, some default form and rest up because I don't have the power anymore. So she's a mostly forgotten god. Yeah, she doesn't have the worshiper base anymore. In the story, she's looking to go someplace where she can find new worshippers, or at least go feral and live live out her live out the rest of her existence that way. If I'm gonna run this in like a Bureau Thirteen type adventure, what as a game master, I would say, all right, it's fine. You can make up that character, but being that you only have. 20 followers worldwide that still actually believe in you and worship you. Uh, you're about as powerful as a vampire. You have powers you can use, but your powers have seriously diminished since all your followers have gone away. You're still powerful. You're still a god. Yeah, you're not You're not like the, the god you used to be. And then you have to deal with that. I mean, can you imagine the, the, uh, the rejection you feel and everything? It's like, yeah, I used to have thousands of people who loved everything that I did. And he would bring me sacrifices every harvest. You're like a washed out rock star, you know. You're like you're you're like the sixty year old rock star that has six people show up at his concert. 
when you mentioned angels, I mean, you are playing a force of good. Now, even then, you have a different mentality that of a human. An angel, their idea of good, punishment may be a lot harsher. Let's say we're talking straight Christian angel. He follows the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Oh, that person, that, that creature killed that family. I have to wipe it out. And let's say it was told, the, the, the Bureau told this team, bring it in, we need to, and they're having to stop their team member from exercising holy vengeance on this creature that you're supposed to bring in. And he feels justified. Like, you're trying to talk him out of it. And he's like, you, you can't talk to me. I, I'm, I do what I need to do. You know, I'm, I'm, God is my boss. I have stood the right hand of the Lord. Why are you telling me what I'm doing, what to do? So you have to deal with, with angels and other supernatural good beings. That is part of the mindset that you have to take up as a player is that your sense of good is not the quite the same um, morality and ethics as a human who has been raised to be a good person. If your players or, or game master or whatever is not comfortable dealing with something like this, you really should not even consider it. Because you could cross some lines that would, would upset people, and this is a game, and that's not the point. Right, yeah. You, you may have a, a person who, you know, your depiction of an angel may offend them because of their belief system. So, yeah, that, that is some. Thank you, Blix, for bringing up that disclaimer. If you all agree to do so, then you're going to have to deal with these things. Right. You have to ask yourself, too, what's the angel doing on Earth? Uh, his motivation. He was cast down to the earth. He wasn't cast all the way down to hell. So, he, so he's hoping that he's got his fingers crossed. There's some sort of redemption to get him back up to heaven again. So he may be down here for a reason. Did the boss send him down on a job or did the boss kick him out? Yeah, see, that's another thing of, of motivation. Is he down here ordered or is he forced? <laughs> right, right, right. Was he let out or kicked out? He could also be down here on orders and find out he likes it so much down here, he doesn't want to go back. That would be an interesting character. That would be a very interesting character. Then he would really have to hide. He'd have to assume a mortal form to hide from the big boss upstairs because of the fact. I disagree. I disagree. The boss upstairs doesn't care. I mean, he cares, but he, he's fine with it. He's all about free will and everything, if we're talking Christian religion, at least. As a matter of fact, there's a whole bunch of stuff in books of the Bible, and I'm not sure exactly which ones. I'm not an aficionado. But I do know there's the term Nephilim, and the, the, the Nephilim did come to earth. The, the angels came to earth, and they bred with humans, and they, their offspring were called Nephilim, which is another neat character you could play, a half-angel. They don't necessarily have to be good, no reason to be. But what that's saying is, is that at least from the Christian standpoint, um, God extends the, the free will portion onto the angels as much as he did onto the humans because he let them come down and do their thing. I mean, he could have stopped them, but he didn't. Why don't I just picture in my head, these, well, the only reason I can't go up there, I need to get my wings. So I need to help save a soul. Well, it, it could be that too. I mean, maybe maybe he left and he decided to stay down here and maybe – you know, maybe his reason for playing that character and doing good things is God said, all right, you want to stay? It's all you. You know, and he was down here. He's like, well, hey, man, I want to go back home. And God's like, no, 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 you made your choice. And he's like, well, what can I do, man? Come on, man, work with me. And maybe God told him, hey, look, you got to do some good. I'll let you back in. It could be where he's simply saying, why don't you figure out why you didn't come back? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
yeah, you want to come back now, but why? Why did you stay? Why do you come back? You know, why do you want to come back now? You need to figure this stuff out. Your origin story. You need an origin story. Why he here and what and what? And why is he on Earth and why is he stuck here? You may not know, have the answer why he's stuck here, but at least you know you 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 have the story, so you have something to work from, the playoff, and also give the GM something to play off of to see if you actually get your halo back in your wings and you go back to heaven again. I'm really glad that we had this discussion with us because that really actually sounds like a very interesting character to play. I mean, I would have never even thought of playing an angel type character because I I would think it would be very two dimensional, but it can be very three dimensional. This could be a very deep character. Michael from a Stranger in a Strange Land. If you read the book, you realize that Michael is the arch- Archangel Michael. Oh, okay. But he doesn't know it until he dies. Oh, man, now you spoiled that book for me. No, I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. sorry. No. No, I'm kidding. It's only like 30 years old or something. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where you could be – and yeah, he could be, you could be playing an angel. You have these various powers. You don't know where the powers come from. And you really don't have a childhood. So where, what happened? You, know, like, you just sprung out of nowhere? You can always play the amnesiac who has wondrous powers, and you're trying to figure out what the heck, what the heck they are. John Carter is supposed to be like that. He's an immortal that has always been in his 20s, has always been a fighting man, but he, whenever he tries to think back to his childhood, he's, he gets misty and he can't quite remember. Right, exactly. That's one of my favorite. We're picking on Christian religion because, well, we're all pretty much raised in the Christian religion, so we're not going to try to bring up the Hindu religion or the uh, other major religions out there, you know, for their their good people. Yeah, folks, we don't mean to be ethnocentric. We're not trying to sit and, you know, ha-ha, this one's better than the other. No, we're, we're just going from what we know. Now, let's say we have the Hindu religion. I'm trying to call the name of a good Hindu spirit, and it escapes me. I would say if you know a lot about a different religion, because I know we got, for, for example, I know we've got a bunch of listeners from China because just looking at the statistics, and I know there's um, a lot of different religions forming, you know, not forming, but t- getting hold in China now. Now that it's it's a little more open than it used to be. If you know more uh, about some of this stuff, and you can think of any kind of, I don't want to use the term creature, but anything from your belief system, beings, beings from you, right there, you got to go. When beings from your belief system that would make interesting characters the way we've been discussing uh please write in on our facebook you know go, go to our facebook page and and you know tell us about it good and bad right because we will revisit the issue i mean you know we talked about the rashaka rakshasa we talked about them just on the surface but i mean we know about them as much as we've read in say you know D or whatever you know it, the monster manual the monster manual right right not a great source no if you know more or you know better uh, and I know there is. I know that legend actually – I know that is a very deep legend and there's a lot more to it than we touched on and it's probably very different from what we know of it. Please comment on it and we'll, we'll address it on the show. We've done reader feedback already so you know that it's not like we don't do it. There's proof that we do listen to you guys and what you tell us. So, Yeah, please educate us. Do you know anything about uh, uh, Oriental or, you know, no, sorry, Asian or Chinese ghosts? It usually comes from at least two movies, Chinese Ghost Story and Chinese Ghost Story 2. And that's about it. You know, so, yeah, if you got anything more on, on, add to that, please let us know. Because we'd love to know, you know, if you're going to deal with a uh, Chinese ghost, what to, what to worry about. Other religions have other creatures. I mean, you could even do 
I'm going to try to keep this short here. Um, co-planning a new campaign where gods are drafting humans to stop the release of magic into the world. And like the Celtics, their enemies were the Fomorians, basically misshapen giants. That would be something else that you could play. So, yeah, you if you know of a culture and a creature, a supernatural creature that would be a good bureau agent... And Grand, you'd have to deal with, you know, okay, you have this misshapen giant, and once again, you have to fall back on the disguise magic or, you know, some other form of hiding its true form. By all means, let us know on the Facebook groups for Bureau 13 Agents Everywhere, and let us know about, you know, how, hey, I tried this, and it worked out good, or I'm having this problem, or whatever. And now for our required Doctor Who reference. Imagine having a crying angel or weeping angel... As a as one of these player characters, they can only move when no one's looking at them. Kind of like Invisible Boy from Mystery Men. You know, they would be an interesting because they really don't talk. So I I, I can see it. Uh, okay, everyone turn around. You pull out your your cell phone, and in a second you get text messages because you hear behind you typing away, so you can have text messages. So you got so you can talk to people. If you turn look take take a look at at the weak crying angel, it freezes in place and it stops communicating at that point. The only problem with the crying angel is that it, it gets sustenance from sending people back in time and, and feeding off the time differential. I don't think I'd like to play that character. I, that doesn't sound very well. I, I don't to know, me. but there's always lots of bad people who need to be sent back in time. Oh yeah, especially very far back in time. Yeah, but I can see it now. It's like, okay, everyone, turn around. You hear the van creak as it gets on board. Okay, and you look. There's a statue in the back. Just you know, hanging on to hanging on to the straps, waiting for you in the move. <laughs> Imagine you're this creature, where every time you try to do something, all of a sudden you're getting frozen. Then you get to move, get frozen again. I mean, how frustrating is that going to be? I think these guys are just mad all the time. I'm a graceful creature. I can move and glide across the wind, but every time I get around humans. <laughs> <laughs> But the best defense against a crying angel? A wall of mirrors. Because if it sees itself, it freezes. Permanently. Yeah. What is the Bureau going to use these guys for? You know, the Bureau's got some creatures that, it, or for a better, lack of a better term, it's got some supernatural beings on the team. How does it use them? What kind of missions does it send them on? How would it space these out? You know, would it have a whole team like Creature Commandos, where it has a whole team of these supernatural creatures, or is it going to? You think they're going to mix it up? Or? Right. Okay. No, I'm talking like your vampire, werewolf, you know, animated creature, that kind of team. I mean, is they going to have a team of those, or do you think they're going to mix it up? Oh, I'm pretty sure they would mix them up because there's not going to be that many creatures that are going to be constitutionally capable of integrating with a team. So these are going to be most likely interspersed with a human team, and it would be rare. Like, let's say one in every ten teams might have an actual, quote-unquote, monster on it. Well, I don't know. The way, the way players play it, they always play lots on every team, and they could get away with it. Well, yeah, but that's the GM, I mean. But if you think about it, the Bureau, if you're thinking from the Bureau leadership standpoint, they're going to intersperse them. It's like, yeah... They're going to be nice. They're going to be, and it depends on the creature. A vampire, a vampire can just wade into anything. The same with a lycanthrope, because they can take lots of damage. You know, you have that one bane, silver. A lycanthrope is going to know. Okay, they have several bullets. 
I'm about as vulnerable as you guys are. If it's normal bullets, most of them will bounce off and it'll just, okay, let me honk off the werewolf that much more. And then he's killed by the silver, by the real silverware someone who's wielding. But a vampire, um, like vampires and werewolves, you could send them in for surgical strikes because werewolves have stealth. Vampires can turn into mists. Ghosts can just phase through the wall. They would make real good surgical strike teams, and, and they can be in and out, and they don't even leave a trace. Ghosts don't leave footprints. Neither do vampires in a mist form. I think this would be a really great situation where you had one of these Mission Impossible type setups where the team leader had a core team, but then he'd, he'd go and have this big list of all the different monsters that were available. He could, he could cherry pick the monster for that particular mission. You need someone who's a great face person? Hey, Derek, he's a vampire. He's a great face person. But if you already have a face person, then maybe you need somebody else or something else, okay? Or maybe there's a situation, and, and again, this is why if you go back to episode 54, one of the things I talked about was the main reason to have a supernatural creature is, as you mentioned, John, he's invulnerable to something. Something, you know, there's a situation where they are not going to be affected by something that would direly affect the rest of the team. That's why they're there. A ghost is pretty much immune to everything, which, but it has limitations on what they could do. Magical weapons will affect ghosts. If, if there's magical weapons, John, okay, there's lots and lots of scenarios where there's no magic to be had. Or magic. I mean, we're talking Bureau. Bureau infecting with Supernatural, he's actually going into a weapons-rich environment in, in many cases. Here's a situation where, let's say there was a Mars mission, and something bad happened, okay, and they're trying to hold out, but... You know they're stuck inside. You know this uh, in, environmental place, and they need their ship fixed, and they can't go outside. Okay, they've got enough food to make them go for maybe five or six months, you know, recycling, and then it's going to fail, and they can't get home. All right, so you're playing a vampire. The bureau could say, okay, turn the mist. All right, we're going to freeze the mist into ice crystals. And we're then going to put that into a small rocket, and we're going to send that off to Mars, and then it crash lands into Mars, you reform in the mist, you turn back into a vampire, you can go over and fix that problem. And maybe somehow manage to get yourself sucked into something else so you can be brought back home. So here's a way of you solving a problem that a normal person wouldn't be able to do using that very strange nature that is you in order to do it. Uh, the question comes about, though, so you're playing a vampire, right? Or let's say, you know, the, the game master allows people to play monsters. He says, All right, I'm, opening the, I'm opening the door on this. I'm allowing you guys to play monsters. How do you balance the team? I mean, you know, I would be worried about, you know, nobody wanting to play just a straight-up human. It's like, well, I could play a straight-up human, but I'm going to always be outclassed by everybody else. You know, this guy's playing a werewolf. This guy's playing a vampire. This guy's playing a sorcerer. You know, how do we keep balance? How do we how do we encourage the guy who's the human of the group to, to be that human? With um, D20, since I, I sort of consider myself the D20 junkie of this group, they have the concept of level adjustments. And Bruce knows this. It's like a vampire is like a plus seven level adjustment. And I, I'm not sure a lycanthrope. But basically, if you're going to have um, powered monster characters, 
you're probably going to want it for a more high-level campaign where the human may have eight or nine class levels and then the vampire might have his plus seven level adjustment and be a level one charismatic hero. So that way then everybody is level eight. That That's how you would do, you know, if you want to play a monster character in D20. I am not sure on how that would work in Savage Worlds. Mr. Ryer could perhaps help us with that. I'm looking at uh, a young. I'm not going to even bother looking at an ancient vampire. They're just, they're 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 high. They're like a higher great Miller nasty, uh, but uh, a young vampire. Uh... You know, I was going to bring this up when we do the Savage Worlds version of uh, Bureau Thirteen. One of the things that I had mentioned I would like to do is help work on the the playing the monster portion of that, and I'd come up with a concept of every. St- character in Savage Worlds has a certain number of points and everybody builds their character off the same number of points. To make things equal, you know, all things equal, I was going to come up with a whole list of of powers that would be either a major or minor uh, ability and then a whole uh, a big list of flaws that would be a major or minor ability and you could whenever you make up whatever creature it is, you know, you'd have some guidelines of uh, maybe two lists of things you could choose from. Uh, of powers that would be for one of those creatures. But let's say you know vampire. The vampire package starts out with say two things: must drink blood, dies with a stake through the heart. Okay, so they, they get those all off the bat. But then let's say you wanted to buy a couple other powers. You'd also have to take weaknesses to go along with that. So let's say you take uh, the gaze, the hypnotic gaze. Let's say you get you take that the hypnotic gaze. That would be like a minor ability. But then you'd have to take a minor flaw on top of that. So now you are affected by crosses. So. I was thinking that'd be a good way to balance it so that you could play these monster creatures and you could have some of these powers, but for every power you take starting out, you have to take a flaw that equals that. And then as you guys develop your characters together, you know, you get experience points for doing things. You could develop your character. You don't have to take the flaws with the powers because you're just spending your points on powers rather than skills and stuff. So it keeps, keeps things equal. In the deluxe version, they actually have a section on creating races the goal is to have your total total overall cost of your race to be zero. So that means you have to balance off every. Right. If you buy three points of uh, three points of uh, uh, powers, you have to take three points worth of uh, disadvantages or, or hindrances to counter those 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 uh, three points. On that point, John, I mean, there is the concept. Yes, you are balancing out. Fine. Different generations of gamers have different terms for it. There's power gaming, munching, min-maxing. Your game master does have to keep that in balance, saying, okay, you're a young, like Blick said, you're a young vampire character. You're new, you just got turned, and you're working for the Bureau. Your powers are still going to be relatively weak. Therefore, you can have a certain point value. You could limit it. You could tell them you can have two minor... And one major. Right, exactly. Okay, yeah. You at Right now you have the two, and I remember I had to make the one Savage Worlds character. You have to have two minor, one major, and then balance it out. And in time, as you perfect the use of your powers with experience, you can buy more edges, I believe the term is. Right, yes. Because you don't want to buy off your disadvantages because that puts you behind the power curve. And it also makes for a boring character. Plus, also, like, if you have a minor flaw that is, you know, uh, crosses affect you, 
then the game master needs to make use of that. You know, he needs to bring that about sometimes, you know, and if he doesn't, you know, shame on the game master. That That's his fault. That actually could happen by accident when the team cleric whips out his holy symbol and then the vampire goes, ah! Right, but, uh, but I'm, I'm just saying that if, if you take these powers and then you take these flaws and, you, you, you know, you take flaws that you don't think the game master will ever use and then he never uses them, well, you know, that's not your fault. That's the game master's fault. He should put you in situations where they affect you. I mean, crosses, as an example, they are everywhere. I mean, women wear them around their necks. They're used as motifs on books, on cars, on buildings. I mean, you, you know, if you go walking around town looking for crosses that aren't just an accidental crossing of two pieces of metal, but something that's actually designed to be a kind of a hidden religious motif, you'll find them everywhere. I mean, that, it's, it's been very hard to be a vampire in most urban areas. If you're taking a major minus by having this thing about crosses, then you're very susceptible to crosses. It may only have to be present within a certain distance from you. It doesn't necessarily have to be wielded by anybody. Heck, you know what? It could even be psychological. You could have a psychological belief that it will affect you. Maybe it doesn't even really affect you. You're just adverse to it. There are people that cause boils to come up on their skin because they think that something's going to be bad for them. You think a vampire, which is primarily psychic in nature, is not going to really mess itself up if it thinks it's coming into contact with something that's an anathema to itself? I mean, just think, can you imagine how funny it would be? You got this vampire in the party, and you know crosses affect him, right? But, you, you know, you set a cross on his hand when he's not looking or set it on his back when he's not looking. You know, all of a sudden he, he realizes there's something on him and he looks at it and he goes, oh, my gosh, a cross. And he starts flipping out. And it's like it, it wasn't doing anything to him until he realized there was a cross on him. It depends on where that goes. And you should have to define that as a character. You a more traditional vampire going outside is going to be kind of hard during the, day, during the daytime because direct sunlight will basically burn you. So I can see these guys walking around wearing nothing, wearing all black, big, big black you know, hatch with really wide brims, and with any exposed skin that, that's theirs, probably got at least a, a SPF 2000 on it. <laughs> Except the most traditional vampire that we know of, which is Dracula, could go around in the daytime, John. So it all depends on how you define your monster. I like the option of being able to pick your flaws, you know, be able to pick that major flaw. Maybe you aren't affected by sunlight. That would be really cool because then you could say, well, I'm affected by running water. That's my major one. Well, that sucks. I mean, affected by running water is a major, major, major flaw. Or I cannot enter any any building unless I'm invited in by the owner of the building. Right. That is a major flaw. So that way you could enter public buildings because a public a public building, yeah, right. It's it's everybody has an invite by default. You know, and especially if you're even doing like the whole like I noticed in um again like True Blood, yes. they can resend it. So you could enter someone's home and they could say, I res I rescind your invitation and you get you get flung forcibly out of the house by the whatever power that is. That's a major flaw. Yeah, I saw the one episode of True Blood and that was kind of cool where the the jilted human lover says you have to get out of here. You're not welcome. And the woman just, no, and just flew out the door and got like, as if she was dragged and ended up like out in the front yard. Yes. I can see this happening accidentally, though. You know, some they're, they're busy interrogating some guy, and the guy, that's it. I'm tired. You guys, out of my house. And the guy, the vampire is gone. It can happen. Well, that would suck with vampires. Let's say, because the vampire, the Bureau 13, they do act as. 
Enforcement agents. Okay, we're going in and raiding this place. I can't go in. You're our most powerful person. You could shrug off bullets. I can't go in. It's not my place. I have to be invited in by the owner. I can't join you on. That would suck. And I'm sorry, there is no court order. There's no warrant powerful enough to rescind that. He would still be the owner of the place has to allow me to come in. And he is guilty of something. We have this warrant, but he is the one that has to let me in so I can participate in the raid to capture him. If they were able to get right to intimate domain declared in the house and had the owner change to someone who could then give him permission to go in, and that's the only way he'd be able to get in that place. Exactly. So, yeah. Good luck getting that, yeah. Invited only flaw would be major. Sunlight, yeah, that would be major too. That would certainly limit your campaign campaigns because there are some vampires, yeah, they can be awake all the time, but just they can't go out in the day. They have to stay inside. They, you know, like paint their windows and stuff. There are some vampires that they have to sleep during the day. They cannot be awake during the day and they have to get to their coffin, which usually has to have their home soil in it. Or otherwise they just go and, you know, turn into a pile of ash. Again, it depends on the mythos, and if you have a point-buy system like Savage Worlds, you can pick and choose how your vampire is to be based on whatever mythos you want to follow. If you are going to point-buy, you will have to balance out the points, but you'll start looking at, okay, I want to be really powerful, but if I'm really powerful, i get all these hindrances, all these weaknesses, all these various things I have to take to balance it out, and the GM's just watching you, you know, Digging a hole for yourself at that point. So uh, so you, you probably won't be a uh, super vampire. I mean, the vampire in the book will probably be more powerful than you are, but you'll still be a vampire. It really depends on how deep the hole you want to dig for your character in terms of, you know, buy-offs or, or level adjustments or whatever. Yeah, but you know what's worth it is the fact that, you know, people can gun you down and you're going to get up. That's true. You can take invulnerability. Let's look at the one here for uh, the, the Service Worlds vampire. Yeah, a vampire hit with a cold shot to the heart must make a vigor roll versus the damage. If successful, it takes damage normally. If it fails, it disintegrates the dust. And it does say stake through the heart. You have to put a stake through the heart. We all know the favorite, you know, crossbow, sta- the crossbow delivery systems in the bureau, and and of course the, the shotgun with the twelve inch stake load you can put into it. <laughs> oh wow! I just had a supernatural creature idea. I'm not sure if we want to go the route. I mean, the movie most likely that you would all know is Highlander. Oh, Immortals. The Immortal. That is a supernatural being. And they'll say, yeah, you have to cut off his head in order to kill him. Other than that, he's lived for hundreds or thousands of years. That's another supernatural creature. And they're not necessarily good or evil. They are just humans that have somehow been gifted or cursed, depending on the backstory, with immortality, unaging, immunity to disease. Immune to poisons. Right, exactly. Can't drown, can't suffocate. Oh, yeah, they've released gas, and oh, God, we can't go in. The immortal walks in like, what? But we don't want just this to be a catalog of powers, guys. Yeah, that's true, yes. Right. Then we'll go into the mindset. Most of these immortals, if you're going to play an immortal... You're going to want to play the one that's been around for a while. You have to deal with, okay, I am in the Bureau because, well, I'm bored. I want to do something. I don't want to sit around and collect my artifacts and gain dust with them. 
oh, look, there are things out there that want to kill me. I'm going to join up with these guys because they're used to fighting things like immortal beings, and they do it secretly. And also, again, I have experience that I can give them, and we go back to the whole Saren thing where he wants to pass on this experience. He doesn't have kids because usually the convention is that these immortals end up being sterile. They cannot sire nor bear children. Therefore, they get that paternal attitude going. I mean, they'll be condescending to the Bureau agents because, yeah, you're a human. I've lived for millennia. I have seen things that... And, yeah, they're going to be a bit hoity-toity, you know, highfalutin because of their experience. But they're going to be getting also, if they have the... There's a term. Ennui, I believe it's pronounced. E-N-U-I. Ennui. World weariness. Well, if you're chasing monsters and other immortals that are doing bad stuff and supernaturals and aliens, oh, that'll put a spring in your step if you're 9,000 years old and you're bored. So, yeah, they're immortals of the various types, and usually the convention is you have to cut off their head to kill them. Whether you get the lightning storm or not, that just depends on your character. If you want to play a Highlander immortal, that's fine. Or you find the painting that's hidden away someplace. Ah, yes, Dorian Gray. That's another one, yes. Yeah. Hey, guys, I would say, and this is one of our, our, tr- our standard tropes, you know, when we're dealing with supernatural beings, cut off the head, that kills just about everything. Well, it's like um, my my former co-host, Sven, my, his roommate, my former roommate, Snowy, Brian, he goes, tell you what, we're going to find out he's a vampire. If you put a stake in his heart, he'll die. And you're all like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so everything else. Yeah, these are more nine times out of ten, they're going to want to be occupied so they don't have ennui, so they don't sit there and gather dust like the rest of the artifacts they've collected. But they're going to know that, yes, I'm immune to poison, I'm immune to disease, I'm immune to suffocation. Most bullet wounds I will get up from. And if you remember the scene in Highlander 2 with Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery, Jeff Altman... The guy who played Huey Hogg and the Dukes of Hazard playing the doctor. Oh, those guys must have took a hundred bullets each. And they're comparing the bullet wounds. <laughs> and they oh, Sean Connery. What? That wasn't a scratch. Look what it did to my waistcoat. And the doctor sees them both up and faints dead away. That is one. It, the movie generally is reviled, but that's one of my favorite scenes. And it's like these immortals, yeah, they have often incredible regenerative powers. So, yeah, even if they go through a hail of bullets, oh, my God, he went through a hail of bullets, he'll be up in 10 minutes. Just give him time to, to you know. Yeah, it still hurt. Oh, oh, no, no, they go through pain, yeah. They're not immune to pain. They're just immune to damage. There's a big difference. I'll tell you what, you know, a lot of people know about the, the movie Immor- movie Highlander and such, and they know about those immortals, but there was a role-playing game called Immortal, and I think they're on their fourth edition now. It's It's, it's an indie game. You'd have to go look for it. I can't remember. It's um, there was another one called Blade that was very similar. But Immortal was really cool. The, the the guy who created it created this really awesome backstory. There's a whole setting to it that is amazing. If you ever want to play like an Immortal type character that is different from anything that you expected to play, that makes for a really great character. Uh, and the setting just you could bring the setting into Bureau Thirteen very easily. And they would make some really good monster-type characters. They, they have amazing things they can do, but they're also, they also have their limitations, which makes them 
Um, I think the limitations make it a playable character with other char- with the other characters, especially a beginning one. The reason that that made me think of this is that there is a D twenty supplement called it's a template called Eternal, and it's pretty much. I'm I'm sorry. I look at it and I go, this is Highlander D twenty because they even say you fight against other immortals, and if you cut that, well, they give a they give a, a caveat. I think it is, yeah, it's a node in the brain. And uh, cutting the head off works too, but usually a puncture or ballistic wound directly between the eyes ruptures that node. But cutting off the head works too, because it cuts the energy conduit that causes the immortality. And so, yeah, you're dealing with the damage and everything. Being an immortal of that type would be another cool character to play for Bureau 13. You're dealing with a Dorian Gray type. You can hit him with a nuclear weapon, and all you've done is destroy his clothing. He actually will not even feel the pain. I'm remembering the scene in LXG about the guy just riddling him with bullets. <laughs> I'm complicated. <laughs> I mean, you send him a fire, you just sing his clothes of fire. You're not going to hurt him. Now, his pitcher is getting the beat out of it, but he, he's not getting hurt at all. But I think the main thing is that every, all these characters, these type of characters, all have a major Achilles heel. You know, you force uh, Dorian to look at his painting, he dies. Well, Dorian's biggest issue was the fact that he was bored stiff. Most of the sins he committed, he committed because he was trying to find a new experience, something that he hadn't done before. He, he didn't have any positive thing to do with his life, so he was, as you said about Saren, he was a, a complete hedonist. He was seeking pleasure or sensation of any kind, and he was running out by the end of the story. I, I would say that that level of a character, that type of character, is really not that playable because, I mean, he's invincible unless this one thing happens, and this one thing happens, he's dead. It's just kind of like, okay, so you can do nothing to him unless you... All you can do to him is thwart him. These characters that are so-called invulnerable, they almost always have the same limitations the rest of us have. They're not stronger than we are. They're not faster than we are. You know, they, they can still be tied up. They can be thrown in the bottom of a well and a big rock dropped over the top of them. Thwarted. They're, they have some real limitations in that regard. The, the biggest thing that they have going for them is someone not knowing that they have this ability. So when they when you bring the kind of force against you that you would normally expect someone to go down, they get to jump up at you and, and not stop. That's their big secret weapon. Once that's out, you know, there's lots of ways of thwarting them. So you're saying take take this Dorian Dorian Gray character. Uh, yeah, he can't die, but he's really no faster than anyone else or stronger than anyone else. And you know that's where the Frankenstein's monster grabs a hold of him. They tie him up and they throw him off. Uh, you know, throw him off the side of a boat with some rocks tied to him. And you know he has to spend the next six months underwater till he figures. You know, to the I don't know. If, the rope's rot enough that he can break free and swim to shore. And if they're modern ropes, we're talking a couple of decades. <laughs> right, right. So it's kind of like he has, he has his fears. Yeah. I have a good idea for motivation. Okay, you're this immortal character, you know, a la Dorian Gray. There is some artifact that is the key to his immortality. The Bureau has found it. They are holding on to it. Okay, let's say I am this character. The Bureau has found my painting or whatever, you know, for like, if it if it's lichdom, the phylactery or whatever. 
I might want to work with them or otherwise either they're going to expose me to that painting. Hey, come into the office. We need to talk to you. What's that? Oh, my God, crumble. I'm dead. That will be a real good motivation for you to work for these people because they have my source of my power. If the Bureau gets a hold of that picture, your hands are kind of tied. You're kind of like, okay, they got this picture. They can do whatever. I sort of have to work for them. And that could make, okay, fine. Yeah, until I get the picture. Or you could have a real resentful jerk. You're playing this guy. He has immortality. He can't be affected. But he hates his position he's in, that he's let himself get into this. So he's gonna, you're going to be playing a jerk around these other characters. I can see him slowly amassing items and devices because his plan is to march into wherever they keep the, the painting and, uh, and take it. And he, he knows he can't do it just as himself. He's going to be amassing items. Yeah. G- gathering stuff so that he can actually do a raid on the vault, so to speak. And and allies. Yeah. And allies, because he really can't look at the painting, so, and the bureau, the smart thing the bureau would do is make sure it's facing the door. So he oh, goes yeah. in through, he dies. Yeah. <laughs> Just imagine, you know, they, they hunt down this creature, that you know, and he's the one to discover him, and he says, all right, here's the deal. You got away, but you owe me one. So later on, you know, he calls on this guy, all right, this is what we're doing. I'm calling in my favor. It's the same relationship J- Davy Jones had with the East Indi- with the East India Company. You know, it's not going to last very long. <laughs> a primary source of motivation for a lot of supernatural creatures is either a sense of honor or a sense of obligation. Yeah. It's built into the, the character concept for the creature themselves. And so a lot of the times they're trying to fulfill that which is why they would do something with the Bureau, but it doesn't mean that they're going to fulfill it necessarily the way you want them to do it. Right, it's like how a genie is. Uh, I believe it was Blix that brought up the genie. That was me. Okay, you brought up, and usually how the mythos goes for genies and Afrit and Jin and all that, they're going to sit there and warp how you word your wish. So it screws the receiver of the wish in some way. That's usually how they are. Except for in the case of like uh, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves, because uh, he, uh, or uh, maybe it's Aladdin, but the point is, is that the person who got the wish was honorable. He didn't take the treasure where in the big piles it was at. He only came in and got the one thing he was supposed to, and therefore the being that was associated with the quest item was duty-bound to show honor to that person because he behaved righteously. Ah. It could depend an awful lot on how you come into interaction with this kind of being. It, it could be it could be a terribly ravenous, monstrous creature that would not think twice about killing you, except for the fact is that you showed the proper respect, did the proper ritual, said the right things, was the right bloodline, whatever it might be. You know, there's a duty that's involved that they have to complete because it's part of who they are. Yeah, and we, I, actually, I was playing in a bureau game. Uh, this actually was with Phil Folio and uh, Kaya Folio. She was a genie who was bound to uh, to Phil's character for as long as he lived. And there's a couple times where he almost died, and we're all going, "Oh, because she's an evil genie." 
<laughs> she's good as only as long as he's around. You know, if he dies, the promise is broken and the wishes the wishes fulfilled. She's free to do what she feels like, which is basically uh, use her powers on us. <laughs> yeah, you got to have your good supply of rid it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Good thing that uh, Amber is not here because we, you know, you, you, I can just imagine having a bunch of uh, giant ants and you got them disguised as dogs. You know, you put a fur coat on them. You know, <laughs> well, these dogs got six legs. I know it was born that way. <laughs> Heck, if you really want to cross the blur of the lines, you could be playing an old Meller in Bureau Thirteen. Oh, oh yeah. Well, he'd be a great shapeshifter. Yep. Yeah. No, I'm saying that'd be that'd be actually be a great character. He's the face person. There's no reason not to believe that there's an old Meller on the Bureau 13 world. That's true. No, no reason not to. Oh dear. Uh, okay. This I, I doubt. I, I doubt this is canon, but it would really be hilarious if he actually was was working. He was running the bureau. <laughs> you could do that. Well, as we know, that's not the way they normally operate, but at the same time, it is a clandestine organization, and being in charge of it actually would, you know, the bill for an old Meller. The, the biggest thing about Bureau 13 is, is that it's in a position of transition. We're going from a world that has a lot of mythological creatures into a modern world which has, has all kinds of problems with encroaching on the, the living space of these supernatural creatures and these creatures trying to figure out a way of fitting in. So this is very much of the sort of the uplifting process that Old Meller go through with races on any world that they might be into. So I can see him being closely allied with this whole process. Yeah. I can imagine some species like pixies and uh, various things, they're more or less, they move from the fields and gardens and uh, fields to the gardens and the back alleys of cities. So uh, now you got, you got alleyway pixies and you got, you know, trash dump pixies. Well, John, you have animals that have become urban animals, raccoons, seagulls, rats, they may not have been part of those originally. They were of other climes, but they've learned over the centuries to adapt to urban environments. I went to a nature center, and they are now classified as urban animals, these animals that live in the back alleys. And so I could see pixies and whatnot adapting to that. Urban fairies. Guys, guys, let's. <laughs> this brings up something real quick. Funniest monster you can imagine playing, and I, I'll start with this: a were potato. A were potato. A were potato. Well, you have <laughs> the eyes for it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Where is our funniest creature? Oh dear. Uh, don't want to do a were because you already just done a were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You can always use my superhero, Spaghetti Man, the living linguini. He ran over a witch and she cursed him to be whatever was in the truck and he was an Italian restaurant delivery guy. Oh. Ow. He's one big long strand of spaghetti. Trying to add a little levity to the show. Yeah, because you, you pretty much, usually by coming out with a were potato, you pretty much killed all the we- other wares. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> were bananas, whatever, you know. Were chicken. 
All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us for yet another strange and unusual adventure in the TriTac Games podcast. We hope that you have gotten a little bit of insight into some of the things that you need to do in order to play a monster as a monster and not just a funny, you know, a, a human being wearing funny clothes and having, as I put it, Batman's utility belt with new powers in it. The nature of the monster, the where it came from, the society in which it may have arisen from, the cultural history, the afflictions that it might have in regards to sensitivities and invulnerabilities, all these things are going to go into you playing a creature that is not a human being, yet at the same time is something interesting and evocative. Something that would be fun to play. And that's what we want you to do more than anything else, is we want you to have fun playing the characters you want to play, especially in our games. So we hope that you'll let us know some of the funny and and interesting stories about the non-human characters you've played and post on our Facebook and on our Yahoo groups. Let us know and leave us some mail so that we can respond in future user questions and such. Yes, also our our site at tritechsystems.podbean.com. The comments there, you can also post there when you upload the episodes. And visit our site. Yes. And leave us reviews on iTunes. Like us on iTunes. Like us on iTunes. <laughs> because apparently that makes a big difference. More than liking us I on am. Facebook. Oh, yeah. Uh, liking us on iTunes drives us uh, into being more aware. So if you like our podcast and you want more people to enjoy it, this is a way of doing it. So we hope that you do that. And we hope that you'd make the best of your time playing characters in our role-playing games. And we'll have more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game. Hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts. Cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.